uh, by the Morning Brew vet, uh, Dr. David Gething, uh, who is on the line now. Uh, David, how are you? I'm, I'm good today. So a sea shanty being number one tells me that I'm no longer cool or with it or know what's going on because that totally blows me away. That's number one in the UK at the moment. That's that's crazy. <laughs> it is rather crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know where it's come from and uh, um, uh, maybe it will just go away again. We're, we're, we're not sure. But uh, but maybe a newfound interest in sea shanties. Uh, you, you, of course, are a, are, are a big sea shanty folk folk music guy, right? Oh, hey, I wish, well, it's actually actually funny you mentioned it. I was down on Sheko Beach this morning, so there's a slight segue. I was on the sea this morning uh, with my family, not with my dog, but with my family, sort of having a bit of a walk around. It was, it was beautiful. Great, absolutely. Now, now, one of the things I think that we've noticed, actually, and I've noticed today, actually, just coming up to the studio is, and this is this is pretty obvious, but uh, the weather is hot. It's getting warm again. You know, um, I'm sweating. We're, you know, puffing up the hill. Um, and it is that time. And I guess I worry a little bit about it with my dogs that, um, you know, when I take them for a, a walk or a run, or get out there that, um, you know, have they had enough water? And I guess that's a concern, isn't it? Well, absolutely. And I mean, that, that's the reason we're down in Shekhar is we thought we'd go for a swim because it was so hot. It was too hot to go hiking this morning. But on my way back, it's funny you mentioned it. <clears throat> I was coming up Shekhar Road and I saw someone just starting off on the trail at, let's say, 10 o'clock with two dogs and no water. And I thought, boy, we're going to see them in my hospital later if we're not lucky, if, you know, if, if, if they're not lucky. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's too hot to take dogs out in the middle of the day today. Um, it's, it's coming back to heat for the time again. Yeah, so, th- so that means that the best, th- the best time is to go out sort of early morning or maybe just before dusk? Yeah, look, so, I mean, I guess I'd say, um, I mean, I guess to, to, to peel this back, dogs can't sweat like we can. Dogs are not really very good at cooling themselves. They pant to cool off, which, let's face it, is a pretty poor way of actually cooling yourself off. Um, and, and add to that, they run around like a madman. You know, you take a dog up from trails, he's running backwards and forwards and going bonkers, and they just overheat, you know, absolutely. Yeah, and it is a bit worrying, is it? And now, what about the panting? They when they when their tongue is out, is that also losing? Uh, are they getting getting rid of heat that way as well? Yeah, so look, this is, you're exactly right. The way dogs do cool off is by by panting, and they do sort of try and evaporate water off their tongue and then circulate blood through their tongue to to cool them. But it's really you think of what we're doing; we're sweating all over to cool off, and dogs only have a small surface area in their tongue. It doesn't really do a great job. Um, Funny enough, all mammals can sweat, even whales. And you know, if you're a mammal, if you're a porpoise, whatever, you can sweat somewhere in your body. Dogs can only sweat from between their paws. Uh, dogs don't sweat on their body. Um, so the sweating from the paws ain't going to cool you. And the panting is kind of okay, but it's not great. Uh, whereas humans are actually pretty good, pretty efficient at cooling in hot weather. It's a bit of a design fault, isn't it? Yeah, well, I guess if you think of dogs, and, you know, when you see these sort of these wild African dogs on the plains, they tend to be, uh, you know, they, they do their hunting in the morning, as you say, in the morning and at dusk. And during the day, they're kind of sitting under the tree, relaxing. Dogs aren't really designed to go out and spend all day walking around in the sun. And I guess humans have evolved to be good at it. One of, one of the things I've noticed, though, you know, when I do take my dogs out when, when it's warmer and, you know, I do try to go um, before it gets darker and it, at the end of the day. But if they actually get too hot they actually find it difficult to then drink water. So it's, I mean, it's almost, yeah. too, almost too late to give them the water, right? So I, I, I have to try to do it in like small amounts all the way, right? Look, I know exactly what you mean. And you see, and this is exactly right. You see, when the dog gets that distressed, <clears throat> they find it really hard. They're, they're panting so heavily. They get really, I guess that's, that, that's a good point. I mean, the signs of being heat, having heat stroke as a dog, 
you're really panting. You're not just panting a bit, but you're really, really, you're making a loud noise, really, really panting hard. If it gets worse again, you start wobbling and acting a bit sort of disoriented and confused and maybe seeking out shade, trying to hide under trees and so forth. And when you get into that stage, the dog's actually starting to not think straight. And sometimes they don't really drink very well. They don't cool themselves off well. So as you say, the trick is, so two things I say to people. Number one, every time you're sweating and you need a drink, give the dog a drink. Mm. Um, number two, really simple one, before you go out on the hike, pour some water on the dog. You know, help him to sort of sweat, I guess you might say, pour water in his coat. Um, those two things alone will stop 99% of heat strokes that we see. One of the things that um, you know people often say is, well, you better trim the dog back, uh, trim the uh, the fur back in the summer. Um, does that make any difference or not? I mean, I mean, obviously, there's a it's a it is a cloak of of keeping in the warmth, isn't it? I know the dog doesn't sweat, but presumably it does make a little bit of difference if they're you know they've not got the thick coat through the summer. Yeah, look, this is actually a great question. This is a great sort of um, <clears throat> point of debate. The coat acts as a, a very, very good insulator. So it keeps the heat out as well as keeping you know, the cold out. And, and so it works both ways. Um, and actually, the funny thing with this, having having short hair doesn't really help the dog cool off better because they're not sweating and the water can't evaporate. Mm. But it can actually make the sun sort of beat down on their skin and actually make them hotter. So it can make things worse. People never believe me on that. And, and then I will tell you that most of the heat stroke dogs I see are things like you know, Weimaraners and, 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 and Vizslers and, and Hong Kong dogs, these short-coated dogs, the big sort of woolly-coated things don't tend to get heat stroke as much. Um, and I, I think part of the reason is, I mean, part of the reason is that Weimaraners are very fit dogs and they're running around like crazy, but also part of it is they've got this short coat that doesn't insulate them. So I guess my point being, uh, <clears throat> shaving your dog can is not, a, not necessarily a bad thing, but it's certainly not going to help them prevent heat stroke. Okay, so water's the big thing when the, at the beginning and end of the day, so we, we must focus on that. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, look. Yeah, and uh, go on. Look, the other thing I say, just to, to one more thing, people, and, and I hate to drum it in, but really just pour that water over your dog before you go on a walk, before you set off on the trail, pour, your, pour a bottle of water on him. It will help so much. It makes a huge difference. Okay. Okay. Great. Now let's let's uh, let's talk dog for a moment, uh, uh, David. This, uh, this is a, a subject of fascination for a lot of people, um, in, including me. Is uh, how do you best communicate uh, with your dog? And um, you know, they they seem to tell us lots of different things in lots of different ways whether it's different types of barking whether it's the use of the paws where it's um, you know the way they stand they sit whatever it is um communication with the dog is a is a fascinating subject isn't it i uh, i was gonna say i think if i could solve this problem that would be i'd be you, you would hang up on me and call dr doolittle if you want this one if i could, <laughs> if I could talk to my patients that'd be saving me so much time that'd be uh uh but funny enough actually uh what I would say, I do have a, a very good friend who's a doctor, a medico, a human doctor, and he says to me half the time I'm the lucky one. He wishes his patients couldn't talk because they all in their own heads think they know what's wrong with them, but they're all wrong and you have to convince them out of that. It's better that my patients don't talk back to me. But you have a very good point about body language and dogs. Um, and dogs are brilliant communicators. We are not great at picking up on a lot of their signals. So what sort of, if you like, but maybe maybe non-verbal uh, signals should we be looking out for, do you think, uh, in, in dogs? What, what are the things that maybe, the ways they, they try to tell us things and what sort of things are they trying to tell us? Well, look, I've, noticed, I mean, I've been a vet for, well, about 25 years now and maybe it's luck, I think it's more than that. I don't tend to get bitten as much as I used to and I think it's going to be better at picking up on those signals of dogs and when they're getting more nervous 
and I can sort of, and this is, they say one of the most important factors of not getting bitten by a dog is being able to read the signs before you get close to them. Um, the biggest one on that is, 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 is tail wagging and what tail wagging means. Mm. Uh, so, so I mean, people, uh, people, especially, uh, obviously people think of tail wagging as being a happy thing and a friendly thing. The tail, dogs use their tail very much to communicate um, their emotion, their feeling. And if you think about it, that makes sense because if you see another dog from afar, what can you see? You can see his tail sticking up, wagging. So you can, it, it's a great way for one dog to signal another dog about what he's, what he's going through. But it doesn't always mean I'm happy and I'm friendly and come and pat me. Okay. And, and I guess that's where people see that. You know, someone sees a dog wagging his tail, they, they, they just assume wag your tail means happy dog, I'm answering. Basically, the rule is if the tail is kind of wagging, but it's, it's a bit limp and a bit sort of flopping all over the place and, and, and flapping around, that's probably a happy dog. Mm. Um, that's a dog who wants you to come up. If the tail is straight up and is doing like a tight little wag, um, that's, more, more, that's more tense, right? They're more, more tense, yeah. maybe. Exactly, that's sort of a tense wag. If the tail's up in a sort of really just very, very short, tense, hard wag, that shows that he is stressed and he's possibly not happy and he's kind of giving you a signal to stay away. Mm. Um, and I can see those two things look pretty similar. So if you don't really know dogs that well and you see a wagging tail, you know, it could be saying, I am not telling people not to go near a wagging dog. So obviously that's just silly. But but if you see a dog who's got his tail sort of straight up in the air and only slightly wagging, very, very stiff, just be a bit careful. Now, what about the ears? Because they sometimes uh, show emotion as well, don't they? Ah, oh, that's, that's a great one. And, you know, <clears throat> uh, the, 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 the typical one that we get worried about is ears flat and back pressed against sort of the neck is a sign of the dog being nervous or anxious or, or getting into sort of fight or flight mode. Hmm. Um, so if you see a dog with his ears down, that's a sign that you might be in trouble. On the other hand, you know, dogs have this really expressive face. You see the ear sort of one way up and their head cocked a little bit, that's a sign of him being interested in him wanting to know what's going on. Um, yeah, so, so, so certainly is. And the whole face, you know, you can, I mean, I don't want to overplay it, but I reckon you can read a dog's face and see what they're kind of thinking, or at least if they're in a happy or a unhappy mood. Well, you can tell it perhaps maybe a little bit by the eyes and how much they're looking into your eyes. <laughs> that sounds a bit odd, doesn't it, really? But but uh, do you know what I mean? It's that sometimes if they're, for my dogs, if they're really focused on me, you can see they really want me to engage with them somehow. Yeah, you know, I can, I can say, I'm, I'm, every dog owner out there can see his dog or see her dog and see if they're, if they're happy or something. The more of the white of the eyes that are showing, the more that the dog may be nervous or maybe sort of sending signals to back off. Um, obviously, if a dog is tense, if they're rigid, if their hackles are up, if their ears are flat, if they're a tight wagging tail, those are all signs of being nervous. If the dog is much more relaxed, um, you know, obviously the happy waggy tail, sort of more easy posture, it's a sign of being happy. The other one people ask me about is the dog putting their paw on your hand mm, um, yeah. and what that means. So that's kind of, that's actually a really vulnerable position for dogs. You think if they lift their paw up and give it to you, they're now standing on three legs. So they can't really run away or defend themselves um, in that position. So what they're kind of saying is, I'm comfortable, I'm happy, I trust you, and I'm willing to, uh, you know, to, to, to put myself in this vulnerable position because you're part of my pack and you're my buddy. Now, um, barks, there are so many different types of barks, aren't there? And uh, trying to decode those is, is a huge problem. I've actually, I don't know if you've seen, I've seen people on the, on the internet who claim to sort of in, uh, have invented like a bark recorder where they can sort of deci decipher the dog. I think that may be, may be going a little bit too far, but mm. I certainly know what you're saying that, um, 
you know, absolutely. You hear the dog that, that is barking to, to sort of try and find friends, the dog who's howling because he's left out, the dog who's barking in an aggressive way, the dog who's barking in a happy way. And this is the dog's way of communicating. It's, it's probably not quite as detailed as obviously human speech, but it certainly is a way of dogs talking to each other. I mean, how much did dogs, do we think dogs talk? between each other uh, and and you know how do they pass on messages you know i i have two dogs that are the same age you know they were they were bro- their brother and sister and they don't appear to talk very much at all you know they don't bark at each other or anything you know they but somehow they know what's going on and I, i'm fascinated by that barking is a great way of communicating with a dog you don't know without getting mm. too close i think it's certainly a way of saying you know friend or foe or you know i'm interested or keep away from me i don't think it's kind of like saying let's go down and try and see what the butcher's got leftovers today for, for dinner <laughs> um so i don't think they can sort of do detailed communication but i think they're more communicating emotions and you're right that your dog's may not well unlikely to sort of talk to each other but if the postman comes and knocks on the door Mm. one dog will bark to alert the other dog and then they'll both go out and sort of bark and and probably be giving a bark to say you know whoever's out there we're two tough dogs don't come into our house and leave us alone which is a a warning bark essentially (laughs) so they are now working together to try and communicate with a perceived threat yeah, that's true, and I think one supports supports the other. Uh, you know, my dogs, the the the, um, the female dog is is definitely the the sort of stronger of the two dogs, and uh, you know, she's always, of course, uh, d- d- investigating what food she can get, and is is the first one to sort of put two two paws up on the uh, on the cupboard door, trying to look at what's on the work on the top of the worktop, and and start sort of slightly whining, and then and then the other one will come along and sort of sit behind her, and uh, and and sort of whine at about half the volume you know just a sort of supportive wide it's quite interesting well this is interesting working too is that dogs the the dog behaviorists believe that dogs don't dogs have a very definite hierarchy so there's no two equal dogs in the house every dog in the house knows where they're standing who's the boss and who's the junior and that's why they'll sometimes that's why you have a situation in your house where you have two dogs who've been friends for six months and then suddenly they have a big fight and you know one day out of the blue they have a set two after that they're fine again for six months these those set twos are when they challenge the authority and try and make sure who the boss dog is um so there's always a hierarchy the other interesting thing is that apparently that hierarchy extends extends to everybody in the house and in your dog's mind whether it's correct or not he has lined everybody up in the house human and dog as to where he thinks they are in the in the in the pack where, where the positions are <laughs> yeah and i guess it's, it's sort of difficult to know what that that hierarchy is although i, I in, in my household i think i can probably guess <laughs> in, in my house is very very clear and it's not me at the top i'll tell you that much <laughs> is it about the food is it about who gives them the food um i think well actually this is this, so this is an interesting one when you if you're having a dog who's being overly dominant and sort of so a dog who is pushing this hierarchy problem one of the things behaviorists will say is that food is very important to to use as a hierarchy tool the person who's providing the food can be seen as submissive to the dog so for example if the dog barks you run and grab some food and you give them to to the dog you say "Good, good girl good girl i'm sorry i'm sorry that will make you submissive to her on the other hand, if you're having a dog who's behaving in a dominant way, you never want to sort of uh, fight with them because then you're actually making the whole thing worse and you're making the dominant part worse. But you can get the food and you can say to the dog, you know, the dog must perform an action before they get the food. Like say, mm. dog must sit or dog must stay. Uh, so you say sit and then you, when the dog does the right thing, you give them the food and then that makes you the dominant one in the relationship. Um, that's, a, that's a very low threat way of making <laughs> or dealing with dogs having dominance issues. 
So uh, absolutely, food, food, food works both ways. And, you know, is there anything I can do better to communicate with my dog? You know, is that, do you think there are any things that, that, um, that we could, well, we could, we could all do that, uh, that would help that, uh, that communication? My tips, um, if I'm seeing a dog, especially one of my dogs, but also uh, one I don't know, I'm a bit wary of putting my hand straight over his head or going for his head. I normally tickle him under the chin because um, that's much less threatening to sort of come under the chin, give him a tickle. And also if I'm approaching him, I wouldn't sort of run at him head on. I may sort of approach from the side and gently come up to him rather than charging at him because that can also make them feel nervous. Those two communication tips um, will, will, will reduce the threat and also make him feel that you're more friendly and trying to bond with him. Well, absolutely. The language of dog, it, dog it's a fascinating thing, isn't it? Uh, um, and, and I'm sure the same applies with cats. We won't go there now. We'll save that for another time. But, uh, you know, communicating with, with pets, is a, it's, an interesting, uh, it's an interesting subject, David, isn't it? Yes, it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, there's a whole world out there and it's still being studied and learned about every day for all animals. Well, as ever, look, thank you very much for uh, um, giving some insight into uh, our pets for us. Uh, Dr. David Gething is Morning Brew's resident uh, vet. Off to uh, get some hot cross buns now, perhaps, David? Uh, actually, we've already had them this morning. We've already ticked that box. All good. But you have a great <laughs> Easter, James. Thanks so much. Happy Easter, David. Thank you very much for joining us.